Welcome back to a Simple Homesteading Life podcast. My name is Anne and this is episode six. And today we're going to talk about preserving the spring garden. We're going to touch bases real quick in regards to what can actually be grown this time of the year. And then we're going to talk about the preserving methods available to put up this garden to be able to consume it throughout the year, especially in the winter months. This is such a delicate garden. We're talking leafy greens. We're talking about foods that bolt easily because of the summer months. So let's maximize your garden yield right now and get prepared to put it up. So grab your coffee, grab your iced tea, grab your water, go out to the garden, do whatever you're going to do, but let's get comfortable and let's learn how to put up this garden efficiently so we can actually enjoy it once the season ends. This growing season, we're going to completely maximize my book, The Farm Girl's Guide to Preserving the Harvest. We're going to take chapter by chapter, and we're going to throw in the garden on top of it. And then from there, we're going to learn how to preserve foods based on how a sustainable homesteader would. So if you haven't got a copy of my book yet, go online. You can grab a copy at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Walmart, and Target, and Books A Million. If you are near a Barnes & Noble store, a storefront, you can actually grab a copy there as well, too. So... If you're ready to join me, grab the book and let's get started. If not, just listen along and you can actually find a lot of this information on my website as well too at afarmgirlthemaking.com. The tools that you're going to want on hand are actually quite a few of them. You're going to want a hot water bath or a steam canner. That's your basic typical canner. You are going to want a pressure canner. You're going to want to learn how to properly freeze these items and then how to store those items. And no, Ziploc bags do not count in this process. You're going to want to look into investing in a good vacuum sealer. Then on top of that, you have your dehydrator. We're going to talk a little bit about dehydrators because there's different types of dehydrators that are out there. There's top and bottom fans, and then there's a rear facing fan. So we're going to cover those because which one you choose is going to matter. Fermentation. I know a lot of you guys are fearful of fermenting foods, and most of you guys are rightful in having that fear because it's such a lost art that's making a good comeback. So if you haven't started fermenting yet, take your time. We're going to get through this because spring and winter gardens are actually ideal for fermentation. We're going to touch bases slightly on freeze drying. The freeze dryer has really changed how we preserve foods. They are very expensive. However, if you do have an opportunity to purchase one, you're going to see the difference in regards to what you're putting up and having it on hand for years to come, for years to come. So sit back. Let's do this. Let's take one tool at a time based on what we're planting in the garden. I just mentioned the tools that you can use to preserve this harvest, but we're going to touch bases on that a little bit later on after we go over some basic garden items that you can be growing this time of the year. So make sure you stay towards the end because I'm going to give you my advice on the best tools to use to preserve the harvest. Sorry, that's my incubator going. So you're going to hear that. The first thing we're going to touch on is perennials. Perennials are great because once you get them in the ground, they require little to no attention in order to reproduce and come back each and every year. Some of those items are a little bit invasive, so you might want to really think about where you want to plant them, where others just will just stay in that one special area and then will continue to grow from there. Some of these examples are herbs. 
of course, herbs are one of the first things you're going to see each spring pop up. And they're great because my oregano is already up. My chamomile is starting to um, starting to come up right now as well, too. My calendulas are coming up. So things like that are actually coming up right now. The other thing you should plant, because it does take a little bit of time to reach maturity, is asparagus. Asparagus is one of those great things. It's like grass that just, just keeps coming up. The longer it's allowed to be available in that space that you've grown it, it will actually start producing more. So each year you'll get more and more and more. So that's great. I have an amazing pickled asparagus recipe on my website and it requires a hot water bath or a steam canner. It's a, it's an item that can be canned because you're boosting the acidity level and you're making it a pickled item. Another way to preserve asparagus is to go ahead and freeze it, remove the woody part of the asparagus stalk off, blanch it ever so quickly, and then freeze it. That's another way to use it. And I love doing it that way because I like to add it to quiche, frittatas, omelets, and, you know, or just take it out and add it to a, a very nice creamy asparagus soup as well, too. So think about asparagus and growing asparagus. So again, recipes on my website for my pickled asparagus, and it's absolutely delicious because it does not call for distilled white vinegar, but instead a white wine vinegar. The other thing you can plant during this time as perennial is going to be rhubarb. Rhubarb is just one of those things, either you love the tartness or you absolutely hate it. And luckily for me, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Aside from just, you know, taking the stock, washing it, removing the leafy greens part of it and dipping it in sugar, it makes a great pie. It makes a great simple syrup and it just freezes well. So you can use it later on in the winter months when you're really craving a good rhubarb and strawberry pie for real. It's that good. I mean, if you don't grow rhubarb, grow it. And honestly, you can plant it in your front yard because it looks like a perennial that's really pretty and aesthetic. And um, it just passes a lot of HOAs in regards to planting just plants in the front of your yard. So consider rhubarb as one of them. So those are some of the most popular perennials that you can plant, herbs, asparagus, and rhubarb. So think about adding those to your garden. Leafy greens, we're talking mustard greens, collards, kale, Swiss chard, spinach. This is what I'm going to group in leafy greens right here. And those are excellent ways to preserve using freezing method. You can actually pressure can them. And on top of that, you could dehydrate it as well, too. Now, dehydrating, remember, you're not going to get a lot into a jar. So consider it when you dehydrate it, you're going to make it into a powder form to add flavor to a dish if you want to dehydrate leafy greens. There's just there's just no way to do it to keep it, you know, in its whole form. So when you dehydrate, you're actually creating a powder for something like that, unless you want to make kale chips. Now, kale chips are excellent because if you make them, kale is such a nutrient dense food item. It is one of the best food items to consume for overall health. And it's delicious. And most people won't eat kale, but kale is delicious. So kale chips, if you go to my YouTube channel, there's an actual visual to show you the process of making kale chips and tips and tricks for making it. So that's on YouTube and you can find us there. Um, spinach is great to freeze as well too. And on top of those leafy greens, you're going to blanch it and you're going to divide it up according to segments on how much you're going to utilize in whatever you're going to make. If you're going to serve it as, um, uh, in a, in a frittata quiche or omelet, you know, you'll, it'll be a smaller portion of course, but if you're going to serve it as a side dish, you'll want a little bit more of it. Best way to do it is freezing it. I think 
pressure canning leafy greens. Um, I kind of laugh at this because I will not pressure can leafy greens because you're going to need about 28 pounds to seven quarts, 28 pounds of leafy greens. I will not dedicate my garden space to growing that much for seven quarts. I just like to consume it fresh or do exactly what I suggested. Grind it up into a powder once it's been dehydrated. Consume it as a chip item. That's how you can sneak healthy foods into your children who are picky eaters. Make kale chips. I promise you they will consume them and it's healthy for them. Or go ahead and freeze and blanch it. So those are the best ways to handle leafy greens such as, you know, your, your chards and your kale and your mustard greens and your collards and your spinach. So lettuce. Let's talk about lettuce real quick. Uh, lettuce, lettuce. Lettuce is best just consumed fresh. I'm just going to say it. I have tried, you know, freezing it, you waterlog it. I've tried dehydrating it for what purpose? I have tried freeze drying it, still not worth my time. So the process for lettuce is just to plant what you're going to eat fresh. And remember, the second that warm temperature comes, it starts to become bitter. So you want to just plant what you're going to consume so it's not wasteful. And anytime it turns bitter, just toss it to the chickens or the pigs um, or even your goats. They really don't care. They will consume bitter lettuce. So lettuce is one of those plant what you're going to consume fresh and don't really worry about freezing it. Cabbage falls into the line of leafy greens as well, too. Now, cabbage, I love cabbage. Cabbage, you can go ahead and prepare meals in advance, like cabbage rolls, for example. That's a great way to preserve cabbage. On top of that, you can freeze wedges of it, um, blanch and freeze wedges of it to make for like sauteing up in a little bit of garlic and olive oil is another great way to do it. I'm not a real big fan of actual freezing cabbage other than when I make cabbage rolls. It's just not something I do. However, a lot of our cabbage goes into fermenting. And again, I'm going to push fermenting on you guys because I believe that you guys need to really, truly begin fermenting. 80% of your immune system runs through your gut. And if your gut's not healthy, then you're not healthy. So if that doesn't scare you into fermenting, then you should actually be scared because you need to ferment. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so fermented cabbage is the best way to do it. And cabbage will actually keep a long time if you are storing it in nice, dark, cool temperatures. So that'll be a great way to do it. So cabbage fermenting, big, big, big thing. Um, of course, you could dehydrate it and again, grind it down into a powder form if you really like. But fermenting cabbage and making cabbage rolls and consuming it fresh in season is my most favorite ways of preserving cabbage. And um, you shouldn't hesitate and stop by not growing it. You should grow lots of cabbage and do a lot of fermenting. There, I'm going to push fermenting again. Brassicas like broccoli, cauliflower, everything that runs into that family. You know, if you plant properly, it you can actually consume quite a bit before it starts to go to flower and starts to just mature too much to the point where it's not very delicious and not very edible. So items like broccoli and cauliflower, you can um, pickle. Pickling them is great. An excellent way to preserve the harvest with that. You can ferment them. Another excellent way to preserve the harvest. And you are just going to get some pickling brine and get them pickled and fermented. My children actually like fermented vegetables like that. Kale, you know, kraut, mm, not really. But if I go ahead and pickle vegetables in using the lacto-fermentation process, 
they will consume that. So think about that as you're moving forward with making pickled items. So instead of just hot water bath or steam canning it, ferment it. You're going to grate two different flavors, right? And But they're both going to be delicious. And one stores longer. So for example, if you make a pickled vegetable and you want to eat it in the middle of winter, it's going to last that long. If you want to ferment it, it will last at its peak up until the you know, basically your late fall, a little bit longer, but not much longer. So you'll have both on hand for that process outside of eating it fresh. Freezing it is a great option as well, too. You're going to slightly blanch it, divide it up, blanch it, and then freeze it in a vacuum seal bag as well. No Ziploc bags. Remember, just your vacuum sealer and preserve it that way. Um, you can dehydrate it. It stores a little bit better than your leafy greens. Um, and they're nice because with the cauliflower, you could do a little florets and just dehydrate it, and it's great. You can freeze dry it very nicely. It's a perfect item to freeze dry as well, too. So with your items like that, by the time you're eating it fresh and you're going ahead and going to preserve it, best bets are going to be to ferment it. You're going to go ahead, you can um, pickle it, and then you can go ahead and freeze it. Now, you do not want to pressure can it. And let me tell you why is because by the time you put items like that through a, a true high temperature preserving method, it turns to mush and the mush penetrates to the point where the steam cannot go completely through the jar. So, and on top of that as well too, your product is going to be not very appealing because it's mushy and that's not what you want. So do not pressure can it, choose your other options instead, and then um, create a better tasting food so you're not wasting it in the end. No pressure canning. Remember that, no pressure canning. Real quick, Krabi. Everybody's growing Krabi lately, especially those who are on like a paleo diet or a grain-free diet of any sort. Um, Krabi is delicious. You just peel the outer layer off and then you run it through like a little, what do you call them? Um, zoodles, you know, where they're just giving you like little noodles and whatnot, or you can just grate it and just make it into like a little pancake, but it's excellent and it's delicious. Unfortunately, with something like that, you can either pickle it and hot water bath can it or steam can it. You could dehydrate it as well too, but then you're having a hard time fitting it into your jars to preserve it and it becomes really broken up and it's not appealing. But you can grate it into a powder after you've dehydrated it, grind it into a powder and use it that way as well too. And again, you're adding it to like soup stews, um, eggs, great way to consume it as well. Uh, you can freeze dry it, but again, you're having that storage issue of it crumbling and breaking down unless you're doing it in discs. So you could basically run it through a mandolin and just create disc and freeze dry it that way. They store really well that way as well too in a freeze dryer. Or you can ferment it, a great way to consume it. But freezing it is going to be your best option. So once you've created your little zoodles with it, you're going to blanch it real quick and then you're going to freeze it. So it will stay in that way. Again, divide it up by portions so you know exactly what you're going to need in that moment in time and pull it out that way. But it does need to be blanched to actually preserve it a little bit longer. The enzymes are actually slowed down tremendously through that process and you can actually consume it and store it much easier. I forgot to mention the Asian vegetable bok choy. If you haven't had bok choy, it's basically like a white stock with leafy greens on top. Normally in my culture, we just stir fry it up and consume it that way. It's absolutely delicious. The only other way that I personally preserve it is through the fermentation process. I make a kraut out of it or I can make a kimchi out of it. I don't freeze it because it doesn't store well frozen. It's very 
contains a lot of liquid. So freezing it isn't really an option for me at all. It's kind of like lettuce to me. I wouldn't freeze lettuce. Um, the other way to preserve it would be to dehydrate it. But again, you're running into the storage issue. It would be have at that, at that point want to be ground down into a powder because it just doesn't store well in a jar or in a vacuum sealed bag. So if you're going to grow something like bok choy, grow enough to um, feed your family, tear it off by two weeks at a time, or learn how to ferment it. And again, crouch or kimchi, excellent ways to preserve something like bok choy. Okay, your root vegetables, the things that your children will actually consume and absolutely love are your root vegetables. Things like carrots, radishes, beets, turnips, um, daikon radish, for example, excellent root vegetables. And you have so many options on what you can do with them. The first thing, of course, would be to pickle them. So hot water bath can or, you know, steam can them. Pickling root vegetables, delicious, by far great. But there's only so many things you can actually pickle, right? Not for me. I can eat pickled anything at any time. You can ferment them, again, pickling them or creating a kraut out of them. Excellent way to do it. Um, take radish, go ahead and wash it up really, really well, and go ahead and quarter them up. Some people will slice it, and you can make um, a beautiful pickle that goes great with Mexican food as well, too. Or you can, once again, dehydrate it, grind it into a powder. These items, like the radishes, however, don't store well a lot of water content in them, so they don't freeze in that sense. Um, beets freeze well, carrots freeze well, and turnips, if, if you go ahead and you quarter them, I've had turnips freeze well. They don't keep for very long, not like carrots and beets do, but they will freeze for a good purpose. And you can make them into like a mashed potato, a mashed turnip, for example, something like that. Um, again, fermentation is another great way to actually preserve the harvest with these guys. Daikon radish is great for making a kimchi. There's a kimchi recipe for daikon radish in on my website. Go ahead and make it up. I'm going to tell you guys, kimchi made at home is not the same as what you're buying in the market. You can modify the taste of it to fit your family's desires. And it's actually absolutely amazing. Amazing. So I'm going to really encourage you to try some kimchi. And in one of these episodes and on YouTube, we're going to show you the process for making kimchi to really help you get comfortable in this. Okay. But in the meantime, take a look at my website. The daikon radish kimchi is on there and it's delicious. Turnips, these are items that don't store well. Now, carrots and beets. Okay, let's backtrack real quick. Carrots and beets do preserve well in their raw form. Not for a year on end, but long enough that you can consume them good parts of the winter months into January and February if you do it right. Okay, so for example, you'll take the carrot, you'll pull it out of the ground. You're just going to lightly brush off the dirt or don't even brush it off at all. And I will do it depending on my mood and who's helping me. Do not wash it though. Do not wash it. You're going to remove the, the leafy greens from the beets and the carrots, remove them, and you can pack them in dirt. Again, pack them in dirt. I've seen some people pack them in sawdust, but I think the dirt is much easier and you're going to just hose it down and keep it moist. So basically what you're doing is, is you're going to take it from the soil and put it in more soil and keep that soil moist at all times and store it in a cool, dark location. The only way to make this work is none of the carrot can be exposed to light and the greens need to be um, removed in order to slow the ripening process of it and to stop the enzyme process of it. 
And what you'll do is you'll remove it as much as you can. You'll know when a carrot is getting really old because what does it do? It starts to re-sprout roots again, all those white tips that are coming off of the carrot itself. You'll know it's old at that point. But these are successful ways to go ahead and store them fresh. Or you can winterize them directly where they're at. So if you are going to winterize your carrots, go ahead and leave them as is. Give it a nice layer of straw or mulch right on top of it, and just dig them up as you need it. Now, unfortunately, in Washington State, where I'm at, especially, where we get so much rain, winterizing things, you run a 50-50 chance of it, number one, the rodents getting it, number two, the slugs getting it, number three, the rain causing it to rot. So if your conditions are nice where the ground freezes, where you can actually put um, uh, bales of straw around it and maybe even a window on top of it, you can dig up those things, the radishes, the carrots, the beets, and the turnips later on in your season. So consider it that way as well too. So carrots, again, freeze. Now you can pressure can beets and you can pressure can carrots. You cannot pressure can turnips because it'll turn to mush. And the problem, what happens is once it's in mush, the heat has a hard time penetrating directly through the jars. So do not pressure can turnips. Radishes, um, you don't want to. They're so, they have so much water in them. It'll just turn to mush. There's no point in doing that. Reserve it for a fermentation process in that sense to preserve it. Um, even freezing it is not very good. The last thing that I'm going to touch on is basically your peas. So let's talk about sugar and snap peas first. Aside from eating them fresh, if you don't, if you have enough to preserve after you've eaten them fresh, um, the great way to preserve them is going to be to freeze them. You would blanch them ever so quickly and then freeze them into the segments according to how much you're going to need to serve up in that moment in time. The other way is to pickle them. Yes, you can pickle them as well too. They're great pickled. The processing time is very short depending on the altitude for where you're at. If you are at zero to a thousand feet in elevation, for example, it's a five minute processing period. So consider, um, pickling them. You can pickle them through a lacto-fermentation process. They're delicious. And again, one will last longer than the other, but they're delicious. Yummy, 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 delicious. Like I love, love fermented peas and snap peas. They're just great. The sugar peas and snap peas, perfectly fermented. You do not want to pressure can them because again, the quality of the food item will diminish during the high heat of the temperature. And it's not just worth the effort. And it's just not worth it. So freezing, pickling, and hot water bath or steam canning or lacto-fermentation and just fermenting them up is the best way to store them. You can create snap peas chips as well too by dehydrating them. I don't do this quite um, quite as often as I should because I don't grow enough and I, I really should shoot myself for that. But um, if you want to dehydrate them, you can season them up with a little bit of um, garlic salt and olive oil, for example, great way. I do blanch them because it speeds up the process a little bit. So I'll blanch them ever so slightly. And then I will go ahead and toss them a little bit in olive oil and garlic salt. And then I'll put them in the dehydrator. Those are a great way to eat them too. But again, they're just gone before you know it. And that's a good problem to have. But then there's not much to store. So consider um, dehydrating them as well too. Freeze drying snap peas is delicious, like delicious. They're like crunchy and crispy and you can actually season them a little bit, but they're great. Freeze-dried snap peas and sugar peas are another favorite of my family's. But again, they don't store well because they're so crumbly at that point. But in truth, your family's probably consume them quickly 
before you even think about how to store them properly. So let's move on to shelling peas. Shelling peas would be a pressure canning item, okay? So once you remove them from the pod, you're gonna go ahead and blanch them a little bit and then you're gonna fill your jars and you're gonna pressure can them. So that's the way to do it. But you have to grow an, a tremendous amount in order to go ahead and have enough to pressure can. So if you're not growing like rows and rows and rows of it, you know, it would be best that you would just blanch and freeze them in that moment in time than to pressure can them. Um, I do not grow enough ever to warrant bringing out the pressure canner to do it. But I do grow enough that I can freeze it for a couple meals and honestly, <laughs> Those are my most favorite things to pull out and, and consume is frozen peas because they're so easy to grow. But since I only have enough for like a meal or two, they're savored in that moment in time. So I don't grow enough of them that I can have like one bag a week. I grow enough that I could probably have three bags the whole winter. I'm not even going to lie. I've got to up my game on that just so you know. Um, so those are the ways um, to do that. Chilling peas on the skin surface are not great to pickle. They're a little tough, unlike the snap and sugar peas. So shelling peas definitely stick to either, if you grow enough, I, I'm jealous, go ahead and pressure can them. If you don't grow enough, go ahead and take them out of the pod, blanch the peas ever so slightly, and then freeze them in segments according to how you are going to consume them. I know that list was pretty basic in regards to what is grown in the spring garden. However, that gives you a general idea on how to preserve those items. So if there's more like um, broccolini, for example, the process is still the same as you would plant a blue wind broccoli, for example, that's that species of it. So keep that in mind. I did only touch bases on the basic items because I didn't want to go and have to list every single one. But I think you got the, the logistics of what gets grown and how to preserve it. I want to touch bases a little bit on the preserving tools that I mentioned earlier and which ones are my favorite to use and why. I think that's important because for longevity purposes, if you are preserving foods as a sustainable homesteader would, there are certain things that you need to invest in now to be able to do it successfully because I don't want you to end up like I did. I did a lot of cheaper tools in the beginning and I ended up wasting quite a bit. I want to help you in selecting the better tools, the best tools for the job to minimize your effort and your money being spent and just putting it out there when you can afford it to buy these specific items. I'm going to take it section by section here. A hot water bath and steam canner, for example. Those um, two items processed foods you, that are high in acidity, meaning that they're pickled, the jams, jellies, marmalade, um, fruit juice concentrate, for example, hot water bath and steam canner. You guys know what a hot water bath canner is. It's an enamel canner that actually processed foods by boiling it in water. It's a heavy tool because between the jars and the water that fills it, it's a lot. And it's a lot for a glass top stove but it's one of the more traditional items that are used that is used during the preserving process. So everybody should know what a hot water, hot water bath canner is. Now a steam canner, I promote and push the steam canner through and through and through and through because I really believe in it. It processes foods, high acidic food items, again, just like a hot water bath canner would, with two inches of water and steam. Steam is what processes your jars, okay? It is great for a glass top stove because of the lightweight, of the less amount of water being used and the steam being used to process it, it's it can it's 
I, I just can't speak enough of it. It is an improved canning tool by the National Center of Home Food Preservation. So please consider looking at a steam canner. There is an article on my website that actually gives you in depth of why a steam canner is a great tool to use. So before you go and buy it, take a look at the article on my website. Just put in the search bar steam canner and it'll pull it up and it will tell you exactly why it's a great tool to have. Pressure canners, if you cannot afford an all-American pressure canner because it comes with a hefty price tag, I do not own one, but if you cannot afford an um, all-American canner, which is a dual-purpose canner, it contains a dial gauge as well as a weighted gauge, I would truly suggest you purchasing a dial gauge pressure canner. You can get a smaller one that's a 16-quart pressure canner, or you, if you think you're going to be gung-ho and really want to pressure can quite a bit, you can get the 23-quart pressure canner. A dial gauge is excellent because it's designed for areas that are higher in elevation that require you to use a dial gauge canner because you have to know how much pressure is actually in the canner. So take out the process of elimination and just get a dial gauge canner. And for individuals like myself who are a little bit more of a control addict, I like to know what the pressure in my canner is and a way to gauge doesn't give you that. So think about purchasing a dial gauge canner or an All-American, which is basically contains both elements of a weighted and a dial gauge. When it comes to freezing foods, I would truly suggest you invest in a vacuum sealer. Stop with the Ziploc bags, you guys. You're going to lose more foods in a, in a year's worth of time with a Ziploc bag than you would in with a vacuum sealer. Invest in a good quality vacuum sealer. I actually got mine from Costco, and I love it. It comes with a, a lid attachment. So basically, it comes with um, a little food-grade hose that I can actually add the attachment for my mason jars and vacuum seal all the air out of my mason jars and able to allow me to store my herbs and anything else that I dehydrate for longer. So get a vacuum sealer that actually works well for vacuum sealing your, your frozen foods, your leftovers, um, and has the attachment for a jar sealer as well too. It's worth your money. It will save you in the end and it's very little effort and it's a great tool to have. And again, if you're freezing foods, you really, really need to think about investing in something like that. Um, I think we got ours at Costco for a hundred and something dollars. And every once in a while, Amazon will have them on sale for you as well, too. Now the dehydrator. I'm going to preface this with, I did have, I did run on three dehydrators at one time. They were the top fan mounts on them. So basically they were stackable. It had a top fan on it. But then what I was running into my problem was, was I was spending so much time and energy dehydrating foods because I had to rotate the trays in order to dry the foods efficiently. And it, I was running off of three of them, three of them. And it wasn't necessary. And this is even after I was hang drying and air drying my herbs, all the other little things that I was putting in the dehydrator. I decided to bite the bullet and get the Excalibur dehydrator. I, I just had to, I had to, it's a rear mount facing fan, which means that it blows air evenly through all the trays. It's not on the fans, not on the bottom. The fans, not on the top. The fan is on the back. Okay. Cuts my time in dehydrating in half. I don't have to rotate, rotate the trays in any way, shape or form. And it distributes the heat evenly throughout the whole entire dehydrator. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those tools that is just worth having and investing the money in as long as you can. I saved a lot of egg money to be able to buy my dehydrator, um, the um, the Excalibur, but I'm going to tell you, 
it saved me in the end. It truly, truly saved me in the end and minimized the amount of time that I spent dehydrating foods. When it comes to fermenting, if you are new to fermenting, consider just doing it in mason jars, in wide mouth mason jars. It allows you to ferment small batches at a time and it allows you to test recipes. And until you have a recipe down prout, you know, you know, down pat, like for example, my kale kraut, my smoked kale kraut, I can now make large batches of that in a gallon crock and be completely okay with it. However, sometimes we consume so much fresh that I only have enough to do quart-sized mason jars at a time or half-gallon mason jars at a time. So there are a bunch of fermentation lids that you can actually get for that. Um, mason top is one of my most favorite right now because it's so easy. You just put it into the ring, you put it onto your kraut top, and it actually just releases the gases without having to worry at all. So with fermenting, there's different lids to use. I do need to generate a YouTube and a blog post on the different types and um, just talk about them for you guys. So I think I'll make that a... Um, something that I'll do this upcoming week on that. The last preserving tool that I talked about was a freeze dryer. And like I said, it there's just no way around it. It is the most expensive appliance that you will ever add to your ability to preserve foods at home. Yeah, it is crazy expensive. Like without a doubt, it's expensive. I'm an affiliate for Harvest Right Freeze Dryer and I'm still gonna tell you it's expensive. Um, but, 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 if you ever get a chance or an opportunity to purchase a freeze dryer, you have just then reached the final phase of home food preservation, and it allows you to consume foods that have been preserved 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years if it's dried properly. Okay, I have eggs in there that I freeze uh, that I ran through the freeze dryer, and we're still using it to this date. They're that good. Now, here's the thing with the freeze dryer is, is that it does, it's like a car. You need to change the oil in it regularly and able to maintain, I'm sorry about my dogs, um, maintain the health of the actual machine for lack of better words, okay? Um, but the other thing you need to understand about the freeze dryer is it retains 97% of the nutrients in the fresh foods, all right? So if you are worried about consuming like foods and maintaining the nutrients in it, freeze drying is the way to go. 97% of the nutrients is maintained in the freeze drying process. Thanks for joining me today. And I hope that this helped you out a little bit in clarifying what we're growing and how we're preserving it and gave you a couple of options on how to preserve the harvest and hopefully got you thinking outside the box a little bit and how you're actually gonna put up your food items. Don't forget, you can grab a copy of my book, The Farm Girl's Guide to Preserving the Harvest online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble's Target and Walmart and Books A Million. Or if you're at a Barnes & Noble store, look in the cooking section, it's actually stored there. If you have not followed us on our journey on YouTube yet, take a look for us there and hit subscribe and notification as well too. It's under A Farm Girl in the Making. You can sign up for my newsletter, which is released once a week and it contains tips, tricks, and recipes as well, and newer items that we're posting up on there about everything that you're going to know about homesteading as a whole on my website. So sign up for the newsletter there and use my news, um, 